Amos chapter 7. This is our third of three talks on the book of Amos and what it means to us. And we began by uh, going through chapters 1 to 2 of this book, and we saw the burdens of Amos, eight burdens that he had concerning the nations around Israel, but finally zeroing in on Israel itself. And then we had three sermons from Amos to the people of Israel. And now in chapters 7 to 9, we come to the conclusion of this book as Amos brings the full weight of what the Lord intends for Israel to bear as he uh, brings three visions that the Lord has given him, or actually five visions that he brings to the people of Israel so that they might know what the Lord is saying to them. Now, we are in an interesting time of history. There's a lot happening in the news politically. There are a, a lot of things that are going to change, I'm pretty sure, in the Middle East in the next year or two with the new U.S. administration and the potential relocation of the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. There's this, we are also one day after the Holocaust Memorial Day or Holocaust Remembrance Day. They're the same thing. And that day occurs every year and is celebrated by a number of nations around the world and is remembered as a day to remember what is clearly the world's greatest genocide against a specific group of people in history, specifically against the Jewish people. Not that there have not been greater losses of life and, and um, exterminations of people in other countries. We can think of Stalinist Russia. We can think of the revolution and Boxer Rebellion in China and many other terrible tragedies such as in Armenia where Armenian Christians were massacred and destroyed by the Turks in what was a genocide as well. But the Holocaust was unique. It was unique in that it was directed against a nation's own people for the sole purpose that they were, for the sole reason that they were Jews. It was unique in that it was systematic and that it was scientifically done over a period of five years with a longer period leading up to it. Methodically, over a long time, working through a program with no remission, no step back to try and eradicate the Jewish people. But, as we say, Am Yisrael Chai, Israel lives. Many people say about the state of Israel that it came into existence because of the Holocaust. In fact, a counter to that argument that's only partially based in fact is the reality that the Holocaust happened because Israel did not exist. We can thank the Lord 
that today there is a country in the world where Jewish people can go to escape persecution, to escape murder, and to escape anti-Semitism. And because of its very existence, those things are found less in the world today because Israel stands up for the Jewish people. In fact, as we look at what's happening in the world today, an interesting fact is that in the last week, a magazine that has a uh, focus on international and world affairs, it's called the American Interest Magazine. It focuses on foreign policy, international affairs, and military matters. They every year rank the eight most powerful nations in the world. And for the first time, this tiny country of Israel ranks as one of the eight most powerful countries in the world. Canada doesn't rank, which, which is surprising. But it's because God is doing something amazing. Now, man's ranking doesn't mean that much, except that it shows that God is blessing Israel. Israel is rising in the world of politics. I don't know if you've been watching, but Netanyahu is building bridges with leaders around Africa. And Africa is a continent that's as large as uh, the United States, China, and India combined. It is a massive continent. And to have the friendship of African nations is just one of the many things that God is doing for the people of Israel. And it shows that God has his hands and his eyes on the people of Israel. So we must never forget the Shoah, and we certainly shouldn't forget these other terrible genocides that have happened in history and that are happening even as we speak in Syria with Christians and minority groups there. We must never forget these things. But we remember also that, as the Lord said, his eyes are over all the earth. And that the Lord is in control of history. And he is bringing to pass what needs to happen so that his will will be done. As we pray, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, that is indeed what is happening in our earth. And the prophets, such as Amos, have a lot to say to this, because they are the ones who are given by the Ruach HaKodesh a vision, a view to what God is actually doing. And they, in their words, do their best to explain what, it, what God is doing to Israel, to Judah, to the nations round about them, and to the entire world. They bring God's word, but as they do so, they are the ones who are seeing the big picture. And Amos has three visions to the people of Israel. Remember, he is a sheep herder from Judah. He has come north, downhill. He has gone into the area of the children of Israel. And he is speaking to these people that are a sister nation, but are nevertheless distinct in that they have deliberately and intentionally 
turned away from the worship of the one true God to gods that they have made for political reasons. Just like you could imagine there are countries in the world today and have been in history that have designed their own religion in order to commandeer the affections of their own people. I think the most egregious example today is North Korea with people worshiping Kim Jong-un as if he was um, in some way better than any other human on the face of the earth, and maybe even more than human. He is not. So they created their own religion. They turned away from the one true God. And now Amos is bringing his message to these people, and he is impelled by the fire of God who is, who is driving him away from his sheep, as he will say, to prophesy to people whom he doesn't even know. And so we come to the book of Amos, chapter 7 and verse 1. And this is the first of a number of visions. The Lord God showed me. Behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. It was the late crop after the king's mowings. So it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, O Lord God, forgive, I pray. Adoni, Adonai, Slachna, forgive, please. That, oh, that Yaakov, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. The Lord God gives him a vision. And as he does so, there it is clear that the Lord is bringing judgment. This is not only a locust horde, but this is going to be a locust horde at the worst possible time. The king's harvest has come in. It is the time of year when the rabbis note that with the king bringing in his harvest, he would expect everyone else to have brought in their harvests to his treasury, their payments, he would have called all his taxes due. It was tax time. But at the same time, not everyone had received their crop, the late crop, just as they had watched it grow up, just as this late crop had, had matured and was about ready to get to the point where you could consider harvesting it, here comes the locust horde. And it is a terrible devastation upon people who have their tax bill in one hand, but who have evaporating profits, evaporating crops in the other. They're not going to be able to pay their taxes and eat at the same time. They are in dire straits. And Amos cares for the children of Israel, and he cries out, O Lord, have mercy, for Jacob is small. And the Lord knows Jacob is small. We always have been a small, a small people. Imagine what would have happened if we hadn't been persecuted, as we were for 2,000 years, not only Europe, but throughout the Middle East as well. Imagine if 
through the Jewish wars in the first century, a significant percentage of the Jews living in Judea, Samaria, and in the Galileo had not been destroyed and, and obliterated by the Roman troops. And imagine if the Holocaust that wiped out one-third of our people 70 years ago had not happened. We would be a more considerable nation. But we are small. We always have been small. And God knows it. And so the Lord relents concerning this in verse 3. It shall not be, says the Lord. A second vision is given to Amos. Thus the Lord God showed me, verse 4. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Some people say, well, this may have been a massive heat wave. Other people say, well, this may have actually been conflict and military conflict that is being imposed upon Israel, and they're talking about the armies that are going to come in with a scorched earth territory uh, policy and burn everything in their wake. Conflict by fire, it consumes everything. And Amos's prayer is the same. He looks at this indiscriminate destruction. And he says, O oh Lord God, cease, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. What an example of God listening to our prayers. God may say that this is what should happen. This is a just judgment. But God is also the God who has always looked upon the greatest, has always looked for the opportunity to show mercy. And Israel is small. Jacob is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Just like to Abraham when he cried out for the people of Saddam and Gomorrah until he got to the point where there were only ten righteous people in the city and there were not even ten. The Lord could not justify staying his judgment. But here the Lord relents. It shall not be. But there's a third vision that comes right after this. Thus he showed me, Amos chapter 7, verse 7, Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And he said to me, Amos, what do you see? And he said, I see a plumb line. He doesn't say he sees a wall. He says, I see a plumb line. And the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. And here is the Lord with the plumb line, and what he is doing is he is holding the plumb line, and it dangles along the wall, and you can see where the wall is straight, and you can see where the wall is maybe wavy, where The mason hasn't made it perfectly the way it should be. 
The plumb line gives you a line where you know exactly what vertical is. And as you look at it, you can see the imperfections and you can see where repairs need to be made. And the Lord obviously has a problem with the wall. It's not all the way that it should be. Because he says, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. And this judgment is a little bit different than the other two visions. Because here the Lord is saying, I am going to discriminate. I am going to judge justly. And I am going to judge fairly. Now we get the impression from Amos that this means most of that wall is going away. Judgment is going to be pretty drastic. But nevertheless, the wall is there, the plumb line is there, and the Lord is saying, I am going to exact justice. He is going to bind himself by what the plumb line shows. And this time, Amos doesn't cry out. He doesn't pray to the Lord on the basis of Israel being small. In fact, he says, um, rather, rather he he repeats the words of the Lord in verse 9, that the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword, against the house of Jeroboam. In other words, rather than appealing to Jacob, now it is Isaac who is mentioned. And the Lord mentions Isaac because Isaac is the one who is, who is willing to allow himself to be bound so that God's will might be done. He is willing to allow himself to be bound to an altar so that a sacrifice might be made according to the will of God. And Israel, in distinction to that, is not willing to be bound. Israel is not willing to do sacrifice according to the commands of God, but they are doing sacrifice according to their own will and according to their own thinking with their own gods, and they are abandoning him entirely. Sounds a lot like our world today. We're very busy making up our own programs in our in society, setting up our own idols. And of course, when the plumb line is hung next to those false idols, we can see how bad they really are. We can see the need for judgment. Those walls are not straight. And so there are three visions. And as you can imagine, there's a reaction. This is the reaction. Chapter 7, verse 10. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. So as as Amaziah is out to make trouble, he's angry because here is 
Amos, and Amos is speaking against the false sacrifices at the temple that he is working in, the false temple in Bethel. And so Amaziah goes and he sends a message and he distorts what Amos has said. Because Amos never said that Jeroboam shall die by the sword. He said that the Lord said, I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. Now, you might have seen in the news last week that Madonna said she wished she could burn down the White House. And, of course, many people didn't take kindly to those words. It's very much out of order. And she's had to retract her words. You can't uh, talk about burning down a house. And you certainly can't talk about, in the U.S., about executing the president or seeking his destruction. That is tantamount to seeking the destruction of the country. But here, Amaziah is saying that, that Amos deliberately and directly opposed the king and directly sought to have him or said that he would be destroyed by the sword. But that's not what Amos had said. He did say that Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. But he said that it would be according to the plumb line. And then Amaziah goes further, possibly sensing that he has authority to do so. He says to Amos in verse 12, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, there eat bread and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. This is where the king lives. So he's doing what he can to order Amos out of the territory. But sometimes, some of us have known that there is a message that we need to bring. And it, sometimes to a family member, sometimes to a colleague, sometimes to someone that we care for very deeply. And it's a message that needs to be said. And this is Amos' response to Amaziah in verse 14. I was no prophet, he says. I wasn't even the son of a prophet. But I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Or sycamore, yeah, sycamore fruit. He was essentially an arborist and a sheep herder. These were his jobs. He was someone who worked in the outdoors. He was a specialist in sycamores. He could tell you when a sycamore was ill. He could tell you when a fig tree was ill and so forth. But, he says, the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, don't prophesy against Israel and don't spout against the house of Isaac. And therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife will be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line. You shall die in a defiled land and Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. There is a message. I know that we have a message 
that we need to bring to our world today and that we need to bring to our Jewish community. And that is that message of Messiah that Joel read to us from Hebrews chapter 4. Today, if you will hear his voice, Messiah has come. Do not harden your heart as at the waters of Meribah. Acknowledge that God has sent his Messiah. Acknowledge that God has sent his Son, that you may be blessed and that God might pour out his blessings upon you. We have that tremendous message to bring to our Jewish community. And Missions Fest at Canada Place is full of agencies that are passionate about bringing that message to the entire world so that people around the world might know there is a way to avoid the judgment of God. And that way is through the acknowledgement of Messiah, Yeshua, as God's Son and as His atonement for our sins. So that is Amos chapter 7. It's an amazing chapter that tells a little bit about the visions of of Amos and that ridiculous response of Amaziah who got angry and tried to expel him. But he couldn't expel him because Amos had a vision and a message from the Lord. And so now in chapter 8 we see very briefly, we see the vision that the Lord gives him of where Israel stands. There is a basket of summer fruit. It is towards the end of summer. It is the late summer. And now we know with this basket of fruit that has been harvested, that this is all there's going to be. There's not going to be any more after this. The Lord says as much in verse 1 or verse 2. The end has come. Upon my people Israel, I will not pass by them anymore. This is a time for judgment. We see throughout that entire chapter that the Lord is watching over Israel, but there will be a watching of judgment. Verse 11, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. This is a terrible judgment. Our people today are still, in a sense, seeking the word of the Lord, still seeking Messiah. You can go to Brooklyn, and there's the Lubavitch there who who will sing, We Want Messiah Now. Moshiach, 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 bring Messiah now. They're hoping. They're definitely people of the Word who study the Word, who know know at least some of the Scriptures, but certainly know the depths of Jewish learning, but are lacking today the actual words of the Lord. And it's all because of Messiah. And the Lord says, this is the judgment against Israel in that day. Israel went into captivity, and Israel lost the words of the Lord. They were separated from him. We look at the 400 years after the exile, after the people of Israel returned until Messiah, as silent years, 
The Lord did speak during those years, but there weren't prophets like they used to be until Messiah Yeshua came. They were, they were silent years, divorced, separated from the word of the Lord. I think we are in an amazing time in reality. We're in a time when the Lord is actually doing something, however. We see this in chapter 9 as God says, I will preserve my people. We see this in verse 8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. And this is a real sign of hope, because the last couple chapters have been pretty bleak and have been pretty depressing. But the Lord says his eyes are on all on the sinful kingdom, but he will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. And this is the promise of the Lord in verse 11. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And remember earlier I mentioned how we pray that the Lord might lift up the fallen tabernacle of Jesse. The Lord himself says it. This is where that prayer comes for. I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Repair its damages, raise up its ruins, and rebuild it in the days of old. Israel has suffered tremendously. The Shoah is really the, the climax of all the suffering that we have endured for 2,000 years of, of history, in the last 2,000 years. And it's a terrible uh, blot on Europe. But God is in the business of raising up. He is raising up the tabernacle of David even today. Israel is becoming that nation that, that we had hoped for. I think some of us who are older, when we were young, we, we thought, what will Israel be like at its 30th anniversary. And in year, in year 30, out came the book, Israel at 30, and all these pictures of people in the field, um, you know, trying to build up the state of Israel, the primitive state of Israel. And at 40 and at 50, and at about 50, I think the sales of those books that came out every 10 years dropped off because Israel was going on and on, and now you just need to turn on your TV, look on the Internet. You can get to Israel more more easily than at any time before. And you can see God is blessing that country. And it is as if he is preparing the way for restoring the house of David. There is going to be a healthy, prosperous nation. He says in verse 14, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. A couple friends of mine from the valley that I ran into yesterday, friends I've known for a long time, said, yes, they're hoping to visit Israel. It's been a long time. Where are they going to stay with some friends at Zikron Yaakov? In the midst of all the vines, in the midst of all the wineries, 
They, they, they have a hope that they can get to Israel and they can spend some time there because Israel is a land today that is, it has large wine-growing regions, kind of like Abbotsford, you can imagine today. But um, it has w- large wine-growing areas. It has large areas where crops are gathered. Israel is no longer dependent upon importing crops or food, although it does, but it also exports food to Europe. And when you go to Europe, you see the Israeli produce in all the stores. It is a country that God is blessing. These prophecies are coming to pass. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Not only is God blessing Israel, but he is blessing the Messianic movement. That is part of what God is doing in our world today. The Messianic movement is stabilizing. It is maturing. It is developing leaders and thinkers. It is changing and developing. And it is becoming more and more effective at actually reaching Jewish people. There are congregations no longer multiplying at the rate that they once did, but there are congregations with more and more mature leadership that knows the scriptures, knows the traditions of our people, and that is clearly and prophetically proclaiming Messiah in the midst of Israel. We can thank God for what he is doing. And we can also remember that this is just a part of the way God is. This is the way God deals with the world, and it is the way he deals with us. In that when he has made those promises to us, he keeps those promises. When he says to us that he will mature us, that he will continue to do his good work in us until the day that we meet him, we can be sure that that is what is going to take place. Even though terrible tragedies might happen to us, even though we might go through difficulties. And that when God gives us a word to give to someone else, when he, he puts something on our heart, that we can have the courage, like Amos, to say it. And there may be people who try and shut us up, who say, you can't say that here, you can't say that now, or you can't say that at all. But we know We have a God who can work through the words that he gives us. And he does speak to us, and he does speak through us. And we have this word of God, and we know that if we speak in accordance with it, we are speaking in accordance with the will of our Lord and Master. So let us be those that stand firm. Stand firm for the Lord. Stand firm for Israel as we do. We are called Kehilat Sion. After all, the congregation of Zion. And let us bring great glory to our God, who will gather us from all corners of the earth, both Jews and Gentiles, into his kingdom in that great day, that day that we're all looking forward to. Amen. Avinu Sheva Shemayim, we thank you for your son, Messiah, who came and who dwelt among us, who dwelt among us a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who was afflicted with all of the afflictions that we have been afflicted with, and yet who showed us the way, even through death and through sacrifice, yet you gave him the victory. And Father, we thank you that through him we leave, through him we live, 
and in him we have the victory. We have Hanitzachon. Amen.